Hey everyone, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, and today I have a story about the scariest thing that can happen to a syndicator. We'll hear what happened when Kathy Fetke, our guest today, decided to syndicate her first deal that turned out to be a bad deal. Losing investors' money is basically the worst thing that can happen to any syndicator, but the story you'll hear today is unique because it's such an open and honest testimony of a deal that went bad from the syndicator's point of view. No ego, no edits, no filters. Let's hear the story because it's a great one. I got a phone call. I think it was right before dinner and I, you know, I excused myself and uh, all I could say is it just felt like uh, just getting massively punched in the gut and shock, shock. And I didn't want to tell my family at that time. So I was just quiet when I went back to the dinner table and tried to, to fake it. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending. And sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie, and today we have Kathy Fetke on the show. So for those of you who don't know Kathy, Kathy is the co-CEO of Real Wealth Network and the best-selling author of Retire Rich with Rentals. Her company offers free education and resources for real estate investors. She, um, so Caddy is an investor, a licensed agent, and a former mortgage broker. She specializes in helping people build multi-million dollar real estate portfolios that generate passive cash flow for life. Kathy hosts two podcasts, The Real Wealth Show and Real Estate News for Investors, and she's passionate about teaching others how to create real wealth, which she defines as having both the time and the money to live life on your terms. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's really great to have you today. I think the stories that you're going to share with us, or at least some of the passive investors that are out there would be able to, they'll see something that it's probably a shared information that can be very helpful for them and they can probably recognize themselves and their experiences with your experience and identify with your story. So um, let's, let's talk about the first story. So at Real Wealth Network, we have already had maybe, oh, 10,000 investors at the time. We have 38,000 wow. now, so it's growing really fast. But about eight years ago, uh, I was brought, a, uh, a developer came to me and said, subdivisions were being um, repossessed. So it wasn't just homes, land, commercial buildings, and and subdivisions that were half done were going back to the banks simply because financing dried up everywhere. And, and good projects that had financing suddenly didn't. You could be halfway through building this, this development that's taken you 10 years and bam, the financing was gone. So it was an incredible opportunity 
And we had been helping investors buy foreclosures nationwide and rent them out and and create cash flow, really high cash flow. But we had never finished a subdivision of foreclosed ones. So it was really new to me. Kind of close. I mean, people say stay, you know, in your lane. And it felt like it was my lane because it was basically residential homes, right? And foreclosures. The difference is when you buy an existing home and renovate it, you're under very different uh, regulations than a brand new home that has to get its CO for the first time. And I didn't understand that subtle difference. So the developer came to me and said, well, there are two developers and they came right about the same time. And one said, hey, we found 10 homes uh, that have been foreclosed on in the Oakland Hills, the best school districts in Oakland, overlooking the Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, very, very high net worth area. And we were able to get these million dollar homes for $375,000 each. And we were able to just assume the loan. All we had to do was finish them out. They were already built. We just needed to do, to do the interiors. So it sounded easy, right? It, it just sounded easy. At the same time, another developer came and said, okay, I found 27 waterfront townhomes in Portland same deal. Uh, the deal was great. The development was great. Everything was fine. But the construction loan just disappeared. The, the construction lender closed its doors. Uh, the whole thing went to the FDIC. And we were able to buy all 27 uh, Riverfront homes for uh, $3 million down from wow. about, it was probably worth about $15 million. Wow. So again, how could you go wrong? Both look great. So if you were an investor, you know, what what would you ask? Because it just seemed so easy. Finish it off. You're getting it so cheap. And that's what happened. Money came pouring in for both of these deals. So we syndicated both of them. And how did they find you? Well, like I said about then, we had 10,000 investors that were following me already, following my Real Wealth Show podcast mm -hmm. or uh, members of Real Wealth Network. And maybe we're already buying foreclosures nationwide. So they already knew me. I, it was a private placement, so I could only reach out to people I already knew. Um, so because they knew me and because we had a great track record, literally we raised $3 million on each deal overnight wow. um, with, in one weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now the one project in Portland was brought to us by a 40-year veteran developer who had been through many cycles. The Oakland Hills one was brought to us by a private lender, he had a, a large private lending organization and he flipped homes. So which one would you think, you know, might be able to handle the project better? But, you know, the fact of the matter was this was a residential development. Mm -hmm. Both were subdivisions. One partner was, had been doing subdivisions for 40 years. The other ones had been, had been flipping houses. So that was the mistake I made without knowing it was that the, the developer had plenty of experience and knew how to maneuver through what will always be challenges. You will always have challenges in investing. You know, whether you're flipping a house, there's going to be something that you didn't, you didn't know was there. And if you're, you know, buying a subdivision out of foreclosure, there might be some things that pop up you didn't know about. And in both cases, it happened. Uh, it, it was right at that time where Financing just dried up. There was a double dip recession. Nobody would lend. So here we were, were with two projects that were difficult to, to even get end financing on. But that wasn't the issue. The main issue was that with the Oakland Hills project, 
it, because it had never had its final CO, the all the building permits in California, I and mean, this is the big issue, one project in Oregon, one California, California's tough. Oregon's yeah. tough too, but California's worse. And so they had changed the building code in the amount of time that this project had been built and then went into foreclosure and then we bought it. So the, the city of Oakland made us go in and redo everything to current code um, because it had never had its original CO. That wouldn't happen on a flip property. But here we had stairs and decks and you know everything was done. But the city said, yeah, but it's not to current code. We had to rip it all out and do it all over again. Can you imagine? <laughs> Wow, can they even do that? Because I know, I mean, I used to be a lawyer and I know that you can't really apply new rules on uh, existing um, situation. So that's that's interesting that they were able to even ask something like that. Well, that's the difference is if you've never received the uh, certificate of occupancy on a property, then yeah, they can do whatever they want. You may wow. never get that. And no one can live in that property. You can't sell it until you have that CO. So yeah, they they could. And we fought it. We had attorneys. Uh, we even paid you know staff a little extra money. <laughs> I mean, not a bribe, not a bribe, but to actually <laughs> bring them in. We brought consultants in and they wouldn't budge. The worst part of the Oakland Hills project, I mean, there was huge potential there. We bought these properties for $350,000. All we had to do was finish out the interiors and sell them for a million bucks. It was it was the slam dunk until it wasn't. And and one of the things that they the city required us to do was to prove that the peers had gone in correctly because it was on the hillside in Oakland. And we're like, you've already approved it. It's signed off. We bought this from IndyMac. We we didn't we weren't there. We weren't the original builder. How would we prove that? You know, it's you're you signed off on this. And, and we had proof. We had the, the sheets and they said, yeah, but to, to get your CEO, we need, we need more proof. You need to get the original person who did these peers and uh, make sure that, uh, that they sign off again. That was going to alone cost us a million bucks. Can you imagine? It? And going in to check to make sure that all the foundation had been done properly would have actually compromised the foundations. <laughs> so doing that work would have just wow. been detrimental. We searched for six months. We found the original developer. We found the original foundation guy. We got what the city wanted, but that put us six months behind. Guess what? More new building codes that we had to comply with, so we had to tear out more stuff. Bottom line is there were losses for investors, and it was so hard. I did everything I could to mitigate that, but uh, we just could not fight with the city. Now, on the Portland project with this developer who had done this type of thing for 40 years, we ran into similar challenges, but he sailed right through it. We were still about three to four m months delayed on that project from some of those things, but investors made about a 20% IRR, 25% IRR. In 2010, in the worst part, the deepest worst part of the recession, those investors, they made a lot of money. So, you know, anytime you do something new and, and it's difficult and hard, hopefully you learn from it. I did. And since then, our syndications have been bulletproof. And one of the things I look at to, in determining if we're going to do a syndication or work with somebody is their track record and history. There's just no way we will work with somebody who doesn't have 10, 20, 30, and ideally 40 years experience because that's what will take a project to the finish line, no matter how good. Like this Oakland Hills project was fantastic, but the, you know, the, the guy who brought it to us just did not 
have experience with subdivisions and and he did he didn't know what to look for when vetting it and i didn't know that at the time so because there were investor losses and i feel responsible i I actually have promised those investors that I will find them a better deal that will earn them their money back. And they've been very kind and understanding because we, we knew they knew that we did everything we could and I did everything I could and put hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own money into saving that. But you know, they could have sued me and that's important to know, you know, that they're not, in fact, most of those people have invested in every deal we've had since, <laughs> but um, you know, as a syndicator or an investor, these are, these are some of the things that I hope, my learning will help you mm-hmm. <laughs> and help yeah. your listeners. Of course. Um, and can you take me back to that moment where you actually have, you understand that your investors are going to lose uh, some or all of their money. How, yeah. how did you uh, communicate that information <laughs> yeah, to investors? Yeah. Was it, was it one-on-one? Did you use any other type of communication? Can you just take me back to that moment and kind of describe it to me? You know, it kind of, can come piecemeal. So one of the things I did believe from day one is that open communication is really important. I've always been that way. That's why we give mm-hmm. so much free education. So we were constantly updating people on what was happening. And at the very beginning of the project, before we deployed their money and, and at a time when they could still get their money back, I said, oh my gosh, we did a little more. We found out a little bit more that uh, there are some things that we did, you know, some some more repairs we didn't know about. The return's not going to be quite as good as expected. You don't have to move forward. We can send your money back. But they all agreed to move forward. So they they did understand the risk, and, and that was important. And then as that risk became more and more apparent after they'd sent their money and it went hard, we bought the property and they couldn't get their money back, uh, I just kept telling, you know, we kept having conference calls, I think, at the time. Now we do webinars, but it was conference calls saying, oh, my gosh, you know, the city just changed the code on us. It's going to take longer. It's going to take a couple months longer. It's going to be more expensive. It's going to affect your return. And then the next month, oh my gosh, they just told us this. I can't believe it. How are we ever going to find this developer? We found him. He was a restaurant and like he worked at a restaurant in San Jose. <laughs> How we found him was a miracle. But we would just kind of let them know all along and that's never easy, but it's just the truth. It's just what is and as long as investors understand there's always risk, then, you know, they, 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 they know that there was risk and, and then it, it feels, it's not as hard to share that. But the day I had to tell them that there were losses, I cried. <laughs> I cried. On that. I got on the conference call and I thought I, you know, I had my big girl pants on and I was going to, you know, tell them, you know, we lost money and I just started bawling. I started crying. I'm like, fortunately, my attorney was on the, the call and he kind of took over from there. Uh, you know, I, I don't recommend that, but you know, I guess it helps being female. Uh, and, but they knew how mm-hmm. much I care and, and how hard it was and how much of my own money I poured into this project and how much of my own money I lost just trying to save it. Mm-hmm. And then when there was no saving it, I, I told them, you know, I realize you, you can come after me, um, even though I followed the rules and did everything I can, but sometimes courts don't care about that. But I said, it's just a lot of energy and time and money that attorneys get. So how about we just, how about I just find a better deal and, and work you in on it? And they were, uh, you know, they were okay with that. And how did they respond when, when you're having this first uh, conference call? So you're sitting there, your lawyer is, I don't know if he was next to you or, or on the call. Do you remember their initial response? Was it a shock? Were they 
sympathizing with you or the situation? Well, you know, a few people were upset. I mean, some people put in their retirement funds and they weren't able to retire as quickly as they thought. So they were extremely disappointed. And that's okay. You know, disappointment. I was disappointed. Everyone's disappointed. Uh, it's okay to for an investor to express that. And and I when I was happy for them to be able to express that and then be able to say, all right, we're all disappointed. Now what? You know, now what do we do? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was very, very difficult. I, I wonder what my neighbors thought because I would sit on my balcony just sobbing. <laughs> they must have thought, boy, that woman's real unhappy. But, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people were sobbing in 2010, I think. Um, a lot of people lost everything. So Yeah, that was a tough time. It was a tough time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, did you, so, and you mentioned earlier that some investors actually continue to invest with you and they're still, you know, yeah. passive investors um, until today. Yeah. So part of how you handle it in the fact that you were not afraid to show your emotions and, and be, you know, real and, and tell them, listen, this is it. You know, you, you didn't try to, um, to sugarcoat it. You didn't try to hide anything. You were very upfront with them. Um, and, you kind of show them the situation, how, how it was, and you kept the open communications. And I, I feel that this is also key. And I hear it from a lot of passive investors that the, one of the, they mention two things that are the most important for them when they choose a syndicator. One of them is the track record, as you mentioned, and the other one is open and honest communication. So they can, yeah. some of them understand if, you know, a deal doesn't, go as planned if something happened that is beyond this indicator's you know responsibility or ability to change anything but if they take responsibility or you know if they're honest and they're 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 communicating that with them then it's something that they're actually that they can uh kind of make peace with and it's it's i think it's really interesting that you mentioned that because um Actually, two days ago, I had another uh, podcast interview with another investor. You also know him, Jeremy Roll here in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. And he yeah. said exactly what you said. He said, you know what? So something happened with his investment as well. And he was telling it from the passive investor's point of view. And he basically said, I trusted the, um, the syndicator. I understood he was beyond their control. So yeah, I was a little upset about losing the money or the potential of losing the money. Um, but he kept investing with them because of the way that, that they handled the, the situation. Yeah, I just, I think it's important for people to understand that investment has risk. You know, I think in the stock market, people have been trained that, that that's normal. And if you right. just wait it out, it'll be okay. But people aren't trained that way in real estate and they get devastated when there's losses. There's, trust me, there, there's losses in any investment or at least the potential for it. Uh, I have a family member who invested in everything in GE and GE has had just a massive collapse, mm -hmm. at least in their stocks. And it's so sad to see that, but they've been trained that that's normal. And so it just doesn't seem to affect them as much. Yeah. So, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. I want to go back a little bit to a different time in your story when you realizing that, you know, it's, um, that was your first syndication, right? And you find this guy and the deal looks almost too good to be true. Right. A great deal. It's, um, 
probably 30 cents on a dollar and it's, it's easy to raise money and you're probably very excited about this opportunity. And then you figure out that something is not going to work as planned. Can you take me back to that moment and describe, describe to me what you share with me, what you felt that at that moment when you realize, Oh my God, this, this could end up in a disaster. Or maybe you didn't realize it at, at that point that it could be no, I did. I did. I I was, uh, Rich and I had just moved to uh, Malibu. We had already been licking our wounds from uh, just the collapse of, of the real estate market. It affected our business and a lot of our investments. So it was a tough time overall. Um, but But some things were going really well for us too, because we were able to help so many other people who still had money, uh, be able to take advantage of the greatest transfer of wealth in history, really. So we were helping so many people make money. And and so there was just, it it was a tumultuous time for sure. Uh, But we had just moved to Malibu and it was the first time ever we could afford to live in Malibu because everything, (laughs) beachfront properties were empty because all those people had lost everything. There were foreclosures everywhere. And we had just moved in and we were so excited. We're living on the beach, just enrolled our daughter into the high school there. And I got a phone call. I think it was right before dinner. And I, you know, I excused myself and uh, all I could say is it just felt like uh, just getting massively punched in the gut and shock, shock. And I didn't want to tell my family at that time. So I was just quiet when I went back to the dinner table and tried to, to fake it, you know, that everything was fine until I could get more more information the next day Um, and that that's that's challenging I mean to keep your personal life in balance and your kids your relationship with your kids positive so you don't take it out on anybody else is 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 difficult Uh, but you got to compartmentalize and and you know work is work and let it just deal with it the next day and be sitting at dinner with my family and let it go that's that's the challenge but I I did my best (laughs) yeah that's that's super challenging Um, and, and at that point when you're sitting at the your back at the table from the phone call and you know that that oh my god this is something major happened and it's really yeah. bad but you don't yes. want to share it at this point i'm sure your, yeah. your husband was probably did he well i don't want to assume anything but did yeah. he understand that something was going on did you talk about it at all or well my kids are uh we raised them to be very vocal uh, i guess like our our investors <laughs> we we want <laughs> we want their feedback so our kids have um actually trained us to not talk about business during personal mm-hmm. time. And and they are the ones who would grab my cell phone. I'm not grabbing my teenager's cell phone. They're grabbing mine saying, no, you know, this is family <laughs> time. Uh, so we just, we have family rules. And I just said, you know, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Uh, you know, I got some bad news, but we'll talk about it tomorrow. Let's, let's do something fun. Let's watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> That's, I, I wish I had the ability to do that. And, you know, if I got mm. bad news, just to keep going and, you know, this is my time with my family or my partner and, you know, just tomorrow I'll get up and I'll, and I'll deal with it. And I'll deal with it. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we had um, some, some hard lessons on that in 2002. The whole reason Real Wealth Network even exists is because my husband, um, he's a surfer and a rock climber and, um, you know, he competed in the X Games. He's also my partner at Real Wealth Network. But uh, at the time, he was a business coach and had just written a book called Extreme Success and was touring, touring the country um, on national media uh, for this book. 
everything was great until he came home, saw he had this weird freckle, which is weird because he's a redhead and has freckles everywhere, but he saw this specific one, went and checked it out, turned out it was melanoma. The doctor did more testing and believed that, uh, that it had spread to his liver. And in that case, uh, he told Rich he had about six months to live. Wow. And so at that, that day that, you know, you talk about a punch in the stomach, like nothing's, nothing's worse than that. And so I, you just put everything in perspective, right? Um, it turns out Rich is fine today and, you know, he, he's recovered and, and it wasn't, it wasn't what he thought, but, and the doctor was wrong or, or for whatever reason, Rich is still alive today. But the day that he got that news, the very first thing he said is, I'm so glad I've lived a full life. And, and that was, it just gave new meaning to, you know, you, you don't know how many days you have and you've got to make the most of it and not stress out, you know, to have that carve out that time that's precious with what matters most. And believe me, if the doctor was right, uh, none of this stuff would have mattered. You know, it would be all about the quality time that we spent together. Yep, absolutely. I yeah. can definitely see that as part of your personality. I think that that's <laughs> what attracts a lot of investors to invest with you. It's, um, I think, the very kind of balance, I don't know, sort of energy, I think, mm-hmm. um, that, that it looks like, you know, you're, you have experience, you definitely know what, what you're doing, what you're talking about, but then you also have that kind of open and light spirit. And I think that mm-hmm. combination is very unique. And um, it's interesting to, to learn that it actually something that your kids helped you kind of shape by saying, <laughs> hey, this is family time and, yeah. and no business. And I think it's, it's healthy. And a lot of people, including me, are struggling to find that, that fine balance and being able to put your business emotions aside and, mm-hmm. um, and focus on what's, what's really important. So I, I, I think it's very interesting. It's vital, and it really is a matter of carving it out and and having a, a maybe a ritual of some kind that stops the work day, which is hard when you've got these, you know, you've got your work attached to you at all times. Um, so it does take a lot of willpower to not look at email when you're off of work. Just don't look at it, you know, or have a separate work email uh, because the minute, you know, you might be on a romantic weekend, say, nurturing that most important person in your life. And you, you look at one email and it just brings you down. So just don't do it. Just, it can wait till Monday. It can wait till Monday. That's the bottom line. Yep. Um, and, and that is why our company is called Real Wealth Network, because real wealth is, is really not about the cars and the mansions and the money and the savings account and all that. It's not, it's not that at all. It's, it's, it's having real wealth, which is having the time and the money to live life on your terms and to, to be able to invest your time into the things that really matter. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for um, being on my show today and sharing sure. the story. Uh, that was really interesting. So Kathy, where, where can our listeners find you? Realwealthnetwork.com, real like real estate and wealth like your money and network as in the network we have nationwide and actually international. We have a really cool development in Costa Rica right now. I'm going to be going there in a few weeks to, to check it out. But Exciting. Yeah, realwealthnetwork.com. And then, of course, the Real Wealth Show on iTunes. Got it. Excellent. And um, as my last question, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? You know, I was a, a Pollyanna. I would say a little bit uh, very naive and very trusting. Um, I, I would go back and say, 
I would compare this world to what I do out there. I'm looking at the ocean now. Um, it, it's there's a lot of sharks out there now. Does that stop me from going out and surfing and swimming? No, it doesn't. But it's just important to be aware and to know what to do. And if a shark comes up, you're just supposed to punch him in the face. <laughs> I don't know about in real life, but uh, but you've just got to be aware that not everybody has the best intentions, and you 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 need to make sure you protect yourself and and do your own due diligence. Ever since I became a, a you know a syndicator and a real estate uh, expert, I've literally had people just be willing to write me checks and throw money at me. And I, I tell them over and over again, no, 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 no. I don't want you to trust me like that. I want you to trust yourself and your ability to, to uh, perform your research and due diligence on these projects. So, you know, that, that's what I would say is you are in control of your money and your future and it needs to be treated that way. Don't just hand it over. <laughs> Excellent. That's a, that's a good advice. All right. Great. Well, thank you again for, um, you know, being on my show today and uh, thank you for sharing the story. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.